You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and I've just walked in the door from the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal have progressed to the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup with a 2-0 victory over Leeds United. On this edition of the podcast, we're going to be looking back at the win. We're going to be talking about some of the individual performances. I'm going to be taking some of your thoughts and your questions from the live chat. And uh, yeah, we're going to unpack what we saw at Emirates Stadium this evening. Uh, a few big hellos to some of you in the chat. Big hello to Ollie. Uh, big hello to Arsenal, the banter club. Who's Is that someone that I recognise who's changed their name, their screen name? Let me know. Uh, he says, I'd like to win the League Cup, to be fair. I've never seen us win it. Yet, you know what? Me neither. Um, the last time Arsenal won the League Cup was in the 1992-93 season, which means that the final would have taken place in 1993. And I was wouldn't have even been three by then. I wouldn't have even been three. So, um, yeah, I don't remember it at all. I don't remember it at all. Um, it's Inter in the chat who's changed the name. So uh, glad you pointed that out, mate. Thank you very much. I uh, hope you're well. Uh, big hello to Adam Rogerson, who says, first time catching you live, Harry. Thank you for all the great content you make. Um, thank you. Uh, big hello to Patrick, to Riddy. Uh, thank you and welcome, I should say, to Adam. Um, big hello to Tezzy May, who says, I was so happy to see the genuine celebration after Chambers' goal, especially from non-starting 11 players. Finally, some real heart and pride in our team. Uh, big hello to Justin, to Mark, uh, to Femi. Um, Raddy says, I was a little bit negative on my post-match video. I did put an instant reaction video out from inside the stadium. Um, I'll, I'll expand on those points in this episode of the podcast. Don't worry, because I can understand why you might take it that way in a really short form video where I'm trying to be really concise, really to the point uh, and just basically trying to get it out as soon as possible. So I get why you might think that, but I do want to build on those points. And that's what the podcast, thankfully, allows me to do. Um, big hello to uh, Matt Watson, who says, first time catching you live. Another first time, a welcome. He says, uh, was there this evening and agree with everything from your post match. Uh, big hello to the Wandering Minstrel. Hope you're well. Um, long time no see in the chat box. Hope you're good, man. Uh, he says, greetings, Harry, and hi, all. Big hello as well to Thomas Workman. Uh, he says, hi, Harry, keeping me sane on my long journey home to Leicestershire from the Emirates. Safe journey, mate. Have a safe one. Right, let's get into it then. So let's talk about the team that Mikel Arteta selected. I told you guys um, that it wouldn't be as strong as a lot of us wanted. I, I felt that that was always going to be the case. I talked about the idea of playing, um, you know, both Gabriel and Ben White. I know a lot of people were against that. And actually, some people were complaining inside the ground at the fact that, um, that, that Ben White was playing at all. But the team, we got the goalkeeper right in Burnley. Thought that Mikel might do, thought that 
Martinelli would play, thought that Pepe would play, and Eddie Nketiah didn't think Emil Smith-Rowe would play. Uh, but just to run through the starting lineup once more, for those of you who may be catching up with the game, uh, Bern Leno was the goalkeeper. Back four of Cedric, Ben White, Rob Holding and Serge Kalasinac. The midfield duo was Ainsley Maitland-Niles alongside Mohamed Elneny with Martinelli from the left, Pepe from the right, Emil Smith-Rowe in the 10 and Eddie Nketiah led the line. So let's start off with the team selection because there was one question that kept coming up um, when I was talking to people at the ground tonight. And actually, before we go any further, I want to say a big thank you um, to Graham Sutherland, who is a regular viewer, listener, um, one of the supporters from when the Chronicles of Aguna really started to uh, do something and really started to catch people's eyes. And I want to say a massive thank you to Graham because we met up before the game um, and it was great to meet Graham in person and and great to kind of know that somebody really enjoys the podcast. It's a great feeling because when you put a lot of work and effort into something, it is great um, to know that there are people out there that enjoy it, that genuinely enjoy it. So big thank you to Graham. Uh, thank you for meeting up, mate. It was great. Uh, really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. I'm wishing you a safe journey back. But I digress. Let's get back to the team selection. So I think for me, one of the questions that that was kind of on my mind when I saw that team announced and was on my mind in the lead up to the game when I was thinking about who Mikel Arteta might go with. Eddie Nketiah being in the side, when we know that his contract situation is what it is and that his contract is expiring at the end of the season and there's no sign of a new deal being done just yet, you might ask the question, why is he ahead of somebody like following Balogun in the pecking order? Why is he given the opportunity and following Balogun isn't? And I think this is where, you know, we need to kind of step back and understand Mikel Arteta's position as a manager. As a manager, he has to do what he thinks is best to win the game. Now, does he think that following Balogun is somebody that has a future at Arsenal? Does he feel that following Balogun is somebody who can go on and do good things, who can go on and develop, who can go on and be a key member of our squad in the years to come? I think he does. I think that's why the club was so keen to get him to sign a new contract. And they've done that now. The same can't be said for Eddie Nketiah, right? Because there is this standoff between him and the club. There is no contract agreement in place. We know that the likelihood is he leaves in the summer. But at this moment in time, today, on October 26th, 2021, Mikel Arteta clearly feels that Eddie Nketiah is a better striker than following Balogun. And based on what we've seen of the two players so far at senior level, and forget what they've done in the under-23s because... You know, it's not irrelevant, but it's a massive jump in terms of the quality. I think that Mikel Arteta looks at Eddie Nketiah and feels he is a better striker today. And he needs to win the game today. He needs to get Arsenal through to the quarterfinals today. Yes, you can talk about blocking people's development and you can talk about people actually not ever really developing if they don't get the game time. But Mikel Arteta has to balance the development of some of our players with results because he has been under immense pressure. And as I said on the preview show earlier on today, a cup run could go a long way in relieving some of that pressure on Mikel Arteta. So I feel that he made the decision to go with Eddie Nketiah today because at this moment in time, he is the better striker. And there can be no thought about what's going to happen at the end of the season or, or who's going to be the one going forward because you need the result now. The short-term 
kind of thing needs to sometimes be, or sorry, sometimes you need to be short-termist, right? You you can't always um, look at the future. You can't always execute the perfect plan. There will be times where you need to veer away from that. And I think that although following Balogun is a part of the plan moving forward, um, you know, he doesn't, in Mikel Arteta's eyes, stack up to Eddie Nketiah today. And I think Eddie Nketiah is a little bit different. I think Mark's pointed that out in the chat. Um, I have no problem with Arteta's team selection today. And Ketia and Balogun are two very different strikers. Absolutely. Eddie Nketiah is a lot more hardworking. He's a lot more um, of a presser. He's a lot more willing to run channels than following Balogun is, based on what I've seen of the two players so far. And I think that makes a difference. So, yeah, um, that was kind of the one thing that was being talked about by sort of people around me in the stadium just ahead of kickoff. But I just wanted to address that point because I I do think that Mikel Arteta was justified in the end, of course. And Ketia scored the second goal um, in picking him. So, uh, yeah, as far as the rest of the team goes, you know, Ben White was in the side and obviously Ben White went off in the second half. And there was a lot of concern uh, inside the stadium around what might have happened to Ben White. Now, he did sit down on the ground and it looked as though he picked up an injury. He walked off fine, and that was obviously a positive sign. Um, went down the tunnel, came back out from the tunnel a few minutes later with a coat on and went and sat on the substitutes bench. But Mikel Arteta, from what I hear, and, and I haven't watched the press conference just yet. I've literally walked in the door and jumped on an online stream. But... Um, from what I'm reading, it seems that Mikel Arteta has been saying that Ben White was ill, was feeling unwell, wasn't feeling great, and that there is a bug going around in the camp. It's why Pablo Marie wasn't available tonight and why he didn't start. He also went on to talk a little bit about Kieran Tierney and Martin Odegaard, who were both absent tonight. They both have injuries, apparently, although Mikel wouldn't rule them out ahead of Saturday's trip to Leicester City. So we'll have to keep our eyes peeled and ears open on that one to see uh, how they progress, how they, you know, recover and whether or not they'll be available at the weekend. But I think the fact that Nuno Tavares didn't start the game tonight kind of indicated to me anyway, ahead of kickoff, that, um, you know, that the likelihood of Kieran Tierney being available at the weekend was very small. So although Mikel's refused to rule him out, I think if you read between the lines, the fact that Tavares didn't play at left back tonight pretty much shows you uh, that the chances of Kieran Tierney returning are pretty small. And so he would prefer to keep Tavares fit, ready and available for the game against Leicester City. Just running through the team, you know, some of the individual performances. Um, not even going to comment on Ser Kalasinac because Ser Kalasinac is just Ser Kalasinac. Uh, Cedric Suarez looked OK for me today. Um, I thought he put a couple of decent deliveries into the box from set pieces. I thought he defended relatively well. Um, I think anything Leeds did good going forward was largely down the other side of the pitch. Um, so, yeah, I think you've got to give props to Cedric Suarez. Look, I've always said this about him. I think he's a decent right back. He's a good right back option, but he isn't the go-to and he won't be the go-to this season, but he's part of this squad. And I think, as we talked about earlier on, Mikel Arteta's responsibility is to, of course, get results and to manage the team to the best of his ability. But in order to do that, that he needs to keep the likes of Cedric. Players, whoever you think they're good enough, are part of this squad, engaged and involved. And these are the types of games 
with which he can do that. So, um, yeah, Cedric, you know, pretty much OK. Ben White, I thought, was very, very good today. I thought he was really good. I thought he defended well, but I also thought he was a lot better at running into the midfield with the ball, just getting his foot on it, looking up and driving into those spaces. Obviously, there would have been a bit of extra motivation against Leeds United, a club that he uh, knows very well. Obviously, one promotion to the Premier League uh, as a Leeds player. So, you know, I think you saw... Ben White with a point to prove, even though it wasn't a Premier League game, I thought he did really good in terms of his progression of the ball. And as I say, for me, the most encouraging thing was something he's not done that much in the Premier League, not as much as we thought he might have anyway, is pick up the ball and drive into those spaces. So I, I really enjoyed Ben White's performance up until he was taken off. Burn Leno, I thought, had a really sturdy game, really solid game, made some smart stops, particularly in the first half. Um, distribution was okay. It was safe. Um, it wasn't as spectacular as Aaron Ramsdale's is, but it was safe. And and also you got to consider the players that he had playing in front of him were not, uh, for the most part at the same level as well. So, um, you know, I, I, I sympathize with Bern Leno there, but look, he came in. It's not ideal for somebody like Bern Leno, who's been the number one goalkeeper at Arsenal for a number of seasons now to know that he is literally the Carabao Cup goalkeeper. That must hurt his ego. It must hurt his pride. So to see him come in and do a really, um, or, or perform in a really, I think, professional manner uh, is obviously very, very encouraging. So, um, yeah, enjoyed enjoyed what I saw from Berlin. In midfield, Mohamed Elneny and Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Uh, you know, they Elneny just does, as that saying goes here in the UK, he just does exactly what it says on the tin. Not very much more and nothing less, pretty much. You know, Mohamed Elneny is just a solid player who will do the job and the task that he is given without any complaints, always with an exemplary attitude, but just isn't really that good technically, isn't really that creative, isn't really going to get forward and impact games a great deal. He had Ainsley Maitland-Niles next to him, who I thought showed flashes of, of what he can do, who showed... Um, you know, who showed what he can do in terms of, you know, like winning the ball back in certain areas. He can turn on the acceleration in certain parts of the pitch. And one of the things I really like about Ainsley Maitland-Niles and have always liked about him is not that I think he's immensely rapid, but I think over the first sort of five, seven yards, he's quicker than most. And a lot of the time he can read situations and use that little bit of acceleration, that bit of zip, and he can get in and win the ball back for you quite effectively. And I think he'd done that really well at Burnley, if you remember, when he came on as a sub and he really steadied the ship that day. And I thought there were signs of him doing that again today. But with Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I still want to see a little bit more on the ball. I still want to see a little bit more technically, a little bit more in the kind of passing range. And I'm not really seeing that from AZ Metlinars, but good squad player um, and somebody who, you know, is, is is obviously a player that we wanted to keep, a player that we were reluctant to sell despite there being clear interest in him. So I think he will play a role over the course of the season, but I'm not sure he'd be anywhere near my first choice midfield pairing at this moment in time, if I'm being brutally and completely honest. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe, you know, fairly decent game. Uh, Nicolas Pepe, oh, he's just so frustrating, isn't he? Because right at the beginning of the game, you saw flashes 
of Nicolas Pepe's brilliance, the, the quick feet, the ability to skip away from people and do wonderful things in order to create spaces and create opportunities for himself. Had a couple of wayward efforts, um, but that's part of Nicolas Pepe's game. When you shoot from those positions, you're often going to get it wrong. It's just part and parcel of, the, of his game and it's what he has in his locker. Um, but very effective when he does want to do it, when he does want to play that way. But I'm starting to get that vibe from Nicolas Pepe again, that his head has dropped. And it might not be through any fault of his own. You know, I, I feel like Nicolas Pepe is a confidence player. I feel like he's someone, we talk about people that need people, other people to put their arms around them and make them feel loved and make them feel welcome. And I don't get the impression that, as Lee Judges pointed out on the show yesterday, that Pepe and Arteta necessarily have that relationship. And one thing I've I've been told about and I think I'm going to like pay a little bit more attention to is when he doesn't press, when he doesn't track back, the reaction from Mikel Arteta in comparison to when it's somebody else, I think is is quite different. And I think that kind of thing grinds on a player like Nicolas Pepe. But look, it is what it is. You know, he's still a very impactful player for me and still someone who has a role to play as the season goes on. But yeah, he, he didn't do anything tonight to suggest that he will be knocking on the door to start at the weekend. And to be honest, the same can be said for me anyway uh, of Gabriel Martinelli. I thought he was very lively. I thought he was very busy. But you can be very busy without actually doing an awful lot. And I think that is what we saw from Gabriel Martinelli tonight. Look, I think for him, he is a really young talent, a budding talent, someone with the right attitude. I just feel like he is still a little bit chaotic. I really do. And what I mean by chaotic is, you know, he'll make things happen. He will try and, um, you know, get into the right positions. He'll be very committed. His work rate is excellent. And you only need to look at the heat map that I've got up on the screen of Gabriel Martinelli to see how much he drops into deeper positions, how much he likes to drift into more central areas, etc., etc. But he's somebody that I'm not sure you can rely on in a system per se. And I think Mikel Arteta is quite, what's the word? He's quite meticulous when it comes to his tactical setup. He's quite meticulous in the way he likes to um, deploy his team. And I just don't think that Gabriel Martinelli fits in that right now. Look, again, for me, I said it before the game. I said it in the lead up to the game. When you are Gabriel Martinelli or Nicolas Pepe, two players that find themselves on the peripheries right now of the starting 11, then they've you've got to take these opportunities. And again, just like the AFC Wimbledon game, I don't think that Martinelli took that opportunity today necessarily with both hands. I saw a lot of busyness. I saw a lot of energy. I saw a lot of heart. I saw a lot of aggression in some of his play. But I didn't see enough quality. I didn't see enough footballing intelligence. And I am starting to think that when Mikel Arteta made that comment last week, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, you know, I think we need to be a bit more realistic about where Gabriel Martinelli is when we're talking about him and game time. I think that that was spot on. I think he hit the nail on the head. And I think as time goes on, we're going to see that more and more because maybe he, maybe we were a little bit fooled. Maybe we got a little bit carried away by what he showed under Unai Emery. Um, maybe it's because Martinelli 
is someone who is suffering from a bit of an identity crisis himself um, in terms of where he feels he should play. We know that he wants to play from the left. I still think he'd be better as a centre forward. Said that before. Um, you know, also you got to take into consideration that he's probably trying too hard. I think when I think that is a thing. I think when you're so desperate to impress, you can overcook things, you can overthink things, and as a result, your game then lacks fluidity and lacks consistency, and your decision making becomes bad because your decision making is now is now happening in a clouded mind rather than in a clear mind from which you can make the best decision because there is that thing going on in the back of your head or, or kind of, you know, clouding your judgment around the desperation to impress. And that desperation can lead to you, I think, overdoing things. So, yeah, look, not a great performance, I didn't think, uh, from Gabriel Martinelli tonight. As I say, flashes, uh, moments where you thought he looked really energetic, but not a great deal more than that. Eddie and Ketia, um, you know, Eddie and Ketia is Eddie and Ketia. You know, he he was on the peripheries of the game for large periods, but obviously scored a goal. His first touch to flick the ball over the goalkeeper. First of all, actually, his awareness of the fact that Liam Cooper's header was probably going to be short and the fact that he pursued that and chased it down and got there was obviously the first thing. The second positive was the wonderful touch over the top of the goalkeeper. The, the next part the way he brought the ball down out of the air was re really good as well. The finish was a little bit fortunate because I'm not going to lie. I thought that Eddie Nketiah was about to make a right pig's ear of it, but he managed to find the back of the net in the end and obviously secure our place in the last eight. Now that came after Callum Chambers's goal. And I, you know, I've seen there's people on social media, obviously bantering, calling Mikel Arteta a tactical genius because on comes Callum Chambers, goes straight up for the set piece bang, gets on the end of it and Arsenal are in front. Um, as I said in the the post-match video or the instant reaction video, which you can check out on the channel if you haven't done so already, it was really poor, poor goalkeeping from Ilan Melier, um, who was obviously behind his line when he stopped it. The ball had gone over the line. There was no doubt about it. And the goal was awarded to Arsenal. But listen, that goal was important because it felt like we weren't going to score tonight. It felt like nothing was clicking. I talked in my instant reaction video about how disjointed the team looked. And I guess that's natural. You know, when you change nine players from a starting lineup, you've just had your best performance, I would say, of the season. Then you change nine players and you're expecting that same fluidity, that same cohesion. Then you're going to be disappointed because it's simply not going to happen. And I think what was, um, you know, what was significant about the goal that we got today from uh, Callum Chambers was that it just kind of, you know, it, it was basically a bit of fortune, a bit of fortune that we really, really needed because we weren't looking like scoring. We weren't passing the ball well. We weren't breaking the lines. People, you know, weren't able to really express themselves or impose themselves on a pretty decent lead side, by the way. I know they've had a, a difficult time in the league, but you know, so far, but we know they're a very good team under Marcelo Bielsa. We know they're incredibly well coached. We know they've got some really talented players. And actually, contrary to all the reports we were reading and hearing in the lead up to the game, they actually did name quite a strong side. And I've got to say, when I saw our side and then I saw Leeds' side, I thought, shit, you know, we might have a bit of a problem here. 
because it doesn't look like they're going as weak as some had suggested. But, you know, when you lack that cohesion, when the rhythm isn't really there, when we talk about all of those things that were missing from Arsenal's performance tonight, you need that little bit of fortune. You need something like that to go your way, to kind of break the deadlock and really settle the nerves. And that's exactly what happened. When that goal in, I just felt a a relief come over me that we had taken the lead and now we were in a position from which we could go on and win the game. So people have talked about the celebration uh, being over the top. I've seen a couple of you mention that in the chat box and I'm sure rival fans will be picking up on that over the coming days. You know, look at Arsenal. I mean, we got taken the piss out of when we scored a last minute equaliser in the Premier League against West Ham. So I can only imagine what people are going to be saying off the back of, you know, the celebration today. But here's what I would say. The team is progressing. Okay. Tonight, we made wholesale changes in a bid to remain fit, sharp, fresh for a huge game at Leicester at the weekend. And we still got over the line. When players celebrate like that, a lot of the time, it's because they're happy for the individual who scored the goal. Or there's some kind of backstory to it that we don't really know about. And look, Callum Chambers has been on the peripheries of things for Arsenal this season. A lot of people thought that he was going to be the right back going into the new campaign. And that wasn't to be. That was very quickly abandoned by Mikel Arteta. So he's been on the fringes of stuff. He's been on the outskirts of the team, of the group. And now he's in a place where he's come on as a substitute and literally pretty much with his first touch, he has put you in a winning position I think that the players are entitled to enjoy that, to rally around Callum Chambers. And I think too much is made of that. I mean, it's football. What are we going to do if we, you know, what would become of our sport if we took away all the emotion that comes with scoring goals? So don't really have an issue with that. I think it was Callum Chambers um, and and people obviously like Callum Chambers within the camp. They feel like um, he's a, you know, he's a good lad. He's someone that means the world to them and and they were happy for him. They were chuffed for him. And I think that's why you saw, you know, Lacazette come over, et cetera, et cetera. Um, more of a kind of personal thing. And look, that's great team spirit. You know, that's bonding. That's the kind of thing that we've been saying has been missing from this Arsenal team for many, many years. The camaraderie, the connection between one another. So, yeah, um, you know, really enjoyed that. And um, good to see him, uh, him make a telling contribution. And then, of course, we talked about the Eddie and Ketia goal, which just settled things down. But yeah, um, good night because we're through to the quarterfinals of the cup and the performance wasn't great. The performance wasn't fluid. The performance uh, left a lot to be desired, but it was enough still to get Arsenal over the line. And when you can do that, making nine changes, then you've got to be pleased. You know, I've had a couple of conversations on WhatsApp with friends and stuff who have kind of taken a bit of a different approach and a different view to what we saw tonight and almost saying that, well, if we get injuries, we're, we're, we're up shit street because these are the players that we're going to be relying on and they're just simply not good enough. And I agree, you know, that depth wise, although we have numbers, we're not as strong as some of the other teams and that's something that needs improving. But surely Mikel's got to deal with the first 11 first. Surely he's got to build the starting team that he wants and then you go on to add the depth. You don't add the depth before you add the you know the core so i think that that's the next phase of the rebuild right that's the next stage is to then expand that squad f- continue to try and enhance the quality as much as possible and and keep building and keep moving forward so um 
yeah, I, you know, I get the concern. I get the reservations around some of those players. I don't think half of them are good enough. I, I you know, I agree with that. But we need to build gradually. We, you build the first team, then you extend that, you add depth to it, and you enhance it by creating a really strong squad. What you don't do is buy substitutes or players that you only look at as squad players every single summer because then what how are you improving the team so yeah um i think that is the right approach it's a it's look this rebuild i've said it a million and one times it's going to take time you always need backup players as as arnie says in the chat you always need people who can come in and do a job and um yeah you know we've we've seen that they can to a degree tonight look not against the greatest opponent but we've seen that it can be done so let's not be toxic let's not curse and criticize and slag off lots of the players that are on the fringes of this team because tonight our fringe players got the job done our fringe players got us over the line Callum Chambers and Eddie Nketiah with the goals right let's take some of your questions in the live chat I can see there's loads of you in here apologies if I've missed uh, some of your comments because the chat box has been updating. Let me take a few of these. But just before I do that, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit the like button on the video. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new. It's really, really uh, important that we uh, up the subscriber count. We're less than 50 away from 17K here on YouTube. It's driving me mad because it's taken ages. Um, so, yeah, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you want to go one further by becoming a Chronicles of Aguna member, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. We would love to have you get your questions in the chat box. And I'm going to work myself or work my way, uh, I should say, through as many of those as I possibly can for the last sort of 10 minutes or so. Uh, let's see what we've got. Um, Arsenal, the banter club, a.k.a. Inter, says... Two years into a rebuild, shouldn't we do be, be doing better than hugging each other after a game against Leeds? I have got no idea why people take an issue with our players celebrating a goal. I, I just don't get it. That is, for me, that's nitpicking. This is somebody wanting to bring up a negative point on a night that we've won a football match, won it comfortably in the end, and we've progressed and put ourselves into the last eight of that competition without having to go full strength, whilst at the same time being able to keep some of our more important and senior players fit, sharp, held back and available for what's to come at the weekend, which is undoubtedly going to be a really, really tough game. So I think if you're moaning about the players hugging each other when they scored against Leeds, I think you're overdoing it and I think you're looking for negatives and I don't really understand why on a night that we've progressed to the next round of the cup without exerting ourselves, without, you know, running our top players down into the ground. I don't understand why there needs to be a negative spin on that in any way, shape or form. Um, just a quick one. If you hate Tottenham, hit the like button. There you go. That should get you hitting it. Um, yeah. If you hate Tottenham, hit the like button. Simple as that. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, Mark says that you're man of the match, Harry. This is interesting because I've just seen that Eddie Nketiah has been given the the Carabao man of the match. I'm not sure Eddie Nketiah was worthy of it. I think I would have given it to Ben White. 
up until the point that he went off the pitch because as I said, I thought I, you know, I thought his performance defensively was was pretty good. But I also really liked the way he was coming out with the ball today. And and that's something that we were told he could do and that we've seen in the highlights reels. But since he's come to Arsenal, I don't think has happened anywhere near frequently enough. So it was good to see him doing that. Good to see him imposing himself. And and so for me, I'm I'm gonna give it to Ben White, although he didn't play the entire game. Let's see uh, what else we've got here. Uh, Stan says, good to see our fringe players making a meaningful contribution. Absolutely. Uh, Trini Guna J says, are we fans being too hard on Pepe? I think he's really effective if given confidence and game time because from February onwards, he was our best player. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And I've defended Nicolas Pepe a lot because I use that exact term that you do, mate, and that's effective. He scores goals. He creates goals. That is what Nicolas Pepe does. He commits players. He causes opponents problems. His unpredictability makes him at times a nightmare to defend against. But equally, we see some really underwhelming performances from him, in my opinion, too often. And that's the concern. That's the worry. So I get why there are fans out there that are not sure about Nicolas Pepe. My big concern about Nicolas Pepe, based on what we've seen in the last few weeks, is nothing to do with his goal-scoring ability or his general technical ability. For me, it's about the work rate. I, I pointed out at the back end of last season that I felt that that work rate really increased. And that was a lot of the reason that Mikel Arteta continued to pick him because not only was he adding goals, not only was he creating goals, but his work rate had really gone up a level and he was now part of the team and part of what Mikel Arteta wanted. And he was you know, displaying those values on the pitch week in, week out. I didn't really see the press and I know the team didn't press as anywhere near as well today as a whole because of the changes in personnel, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like Nicolas Pepe can let you down in that side of things, in the dis discipline side of things, in the, and when I say discipline, I don't mean yellow and red cards. I mean, positionally, I think he does look like he doesn't care sometimes. I think he does walk down around with his kind of shoulders slumped and look disinterested. And I think when you're trying to build a team that's based on a lot of energy, a high intense press like Mikel Arteta appears to be doing based on the last few weeks, then you can't carry passengers. And at times without the ball, Nicolas Pepe does feel like a bit of a passenger at this moment. But we know he's got bags of talent and we know that he should, he will come good, but he just wasn't, um, just wasn't at the level again tonight, I didn't think. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Matt says, uh, American Gooner over here. So glad I can catch you live. Welcome, my friend. Hope you're well. Uh, he says, uh, should the 4-4-2, brackets 4-4-1-1, be the go-to formation against a back three moving forward? Yeah, I agree it should be the go-to formation against the back three. Um, generally speaking, I'm not sure it's the go-to formation all the time. And I'm not sure it's the go-to formation either against every single team that plays with a back three. For example, if we were playing Chelsea, I would have more reservations about playing it just because, because Chelsea centre-backs are more capable of playing the ball out. Their midfielders in, let's say, for argument's sake, it's Jorginho and Kante, are a lot better, a lot more talented than Aston Villa's. And therefore you know, they might be able to beat that press and they might find it easier to beat that press. They might be able to bypass that press and cause us problems at the other end. So I get the theory and I think eventually, 
you know, well, no, not eventually. I think it should be the go-to against most teams that play with a back three, but not every single team. Because I think, as I've said before, there will be times where Mikel Arteta, whether we like it or not as fans, has to acknowledge that this team has shortcomings, has to acknowledge that this team is not good enough uh, to compete with those challenging right at the pinnacle of the division. And therefore, adaptations and changes will need to be made. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, John Rene says, I disagree, Harry. Pepe actually does more defensively than Saka. Watch him. Look, I think that Pepe does. I'm not saying Pepe doesn't do any defensive work. He does. But it's sporadic. It's like he'll lose the ball one time and he won't bother coming back. And then he'll lose the ball the next time and he'll chase all the way back to the edge of his own penalty area. And it's not frequent enough. But aside from what he does defensively in terms of dropping back into deeper positions, he doesn't press the way that Saka did against Aston Villa. He doesn't press the way that even Martin Odegaard does, who's had a lot of criticism lately, but is a wonderful presser of the ball. He's not aggressive enough at times. Um, and that's a problem if you want to play in a high energy, you know, system, a, a high and intense kind of, yeah, energy system. I guess that's that's the point I want to make. And I'm not sure that he is um, he is he is bought into that or that he will deliver it every single week. And that's a that's a problem. Let's take a couple more. Um, Pan Rastler says, I hire a big follower of your channel. Pepe is not the type of player for Arteta. He keeps the ball too long and slows down the counter attacks. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Wondering Minstrel says, does Emil Smith-Rowe start Saturday? I would look to pick the same team that played against Aston Villa at the weekend, if possible. So, yeah, for me, he starts. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if Mikel left him out. But I think that he will get um i think that he will get the the nod at the king power stadium come the weekend just going to take one more question i'll take it from matt who says thoughts on atmosphere at the emirates tonight nice to see the fans getting behind the team and the fringe players yeah look i think that the atmosphere at the emirates this season in general has been really good and i worried that it would be a little bit toxic and it would be a little bit negativity because of the kind of divide um, you know, between the Arsenal fan base on, on Mikel Arteta. Is he the right man? Is he not? I think there are some people that are very kind of invested in what Mikel Arteta is doing. And there are other people at the totally different end of the spectrum who feel as though Mikel Arteta is a problem and Mikel Arteta is not the right man to take us forward. But as I say, I've been pleasantly surprised by the fact that the fans have been on side, have, have not got on the team's back too much when things haven't been going well in the difficult moments. But I think that's a lot down to, A, the identity of some of our players, the fact that we've got some homegrown players, some young players, some people that we can feel um, attached to, we can invest our time and emotions into. But also, fans are delighted to be back at football matches. And I think the mindset of a lot of fans has changed. I know it has for me. I go there now and I'm grateful and I would have taken it for granted two years ago. You know, I, I really would. I think the atmosphere is also helped by the fact that there was a lot of different faces. Uh, Carabao Cup games normally mean that. They normally see lots of the regular season ticket holders not taking up the option to purchase their ticket. And then others come in their place. Sometimes newbies, sometimes people that haven't been there. 
uh, for a long time or people that don't get the opportunity to come. The only bad thing about Carabao Cup nights, the atmosphere is good, it's enjoyable, people are in full voice, is this inability that a large section of our fan base seem to have to find their seats. There's people tonight walking past me in the North Bank. I'm standing there watching the game, walking past me like this, up and down, 18, 20 minutes into the game, looking for their seat. And I'm just like, what is going on? What is going on? So I'll never get my head around how people can make such a difficult thing of finding their seats. But look, it's um, it was a cracking atmosphere. Uh, much bigger crowd than I expected as well, which was great. So, uh, yeah, lots and lots to be positive about. Right. Um, I am going to leave it there and we'll be back tomorrow with some more content and we'll talk a little bit more about this game. We'll talk about some of the other issues to kind of come out off the back of this game. We'll discuss some of the individuals. I'll be joined by Mike Stavrou live at 12.15 p.m., uh, on the YouTube channel and it'll be out in podcast format from one o'clock. So lots of content coming your way over the next 24 hours or so. Make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already. In fact, let's check where we are on the likes because, um, hold on, if it loads, one second, here we go, here we go, here we go. Um, We've got over 200 of you watching. We've only got 68 likes. What is going on? Hit the like button. Let's get it up to 100. Um, it's really, really important, or at least as close to 100 as physically possible. The, the interaction with the video on YouTube, it really works with the algorithm and really helps promote the videos. That's why I ask for it, not just because it looks good. It genuinely does help in a lot of ways. So please do hit the like button. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, take care and uh, good night. We're in the quarterfinals. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.